This is Kyle Blakely, and you're listening to COS 23, The Mayor's Race. This episode, we're going to talk about something new to a Colorado Springs mayoral election, the influence of independent expenditures or dark money. The stakes are high this year, considering the new mayor could be in office for the next eight years, a pivotal time for our city as we struggle with increased crime, strong growth, affordable housing, and a variety of other issues. Two dark money groups have emerged in this race, Citizens for Protecting Our Water and Colorado Springs for Ethical Government, and both are spending well into the six figures to influence this year's race. Even though these groups don't divulge their donors, we have a pretty good idea of who the major supporters are for each group. Citizens for Protecting Our Water is backed by two big local developers, Norwood Development Group and Classic Homes. Colorado Springs for Ethical Government is led by the O'Neill Group, developer La Plata Investments, and Ron Johnson, owner of Central Bank here in Colorado Springs. These parties just happen to be on opposite sides of a heated issue. The new rule adopted by City Council that requires the city to have 128% of the water needed before a development can be annexed into the city. Norwood and Classic helped push the issue through with the support from Mayor Southers and five of the nine city council members, including mayoral candidate Wayne Williams. In doing so, they prevented a La Plata Investments development, Amara, from being annexed into the city, leaving Norwood with 80% of the developable land in the city and little chance that'll change anytime soon. So Citizens for Protecting Our Water is backing Wayne Williams, who supported the water rule, and is attacking Sally Clark who has voiced opposition for the rule. Colorado Springs for Ethical Government is supporting Sally Clark and attacking Wayne Williams. Beyond the drama, the real question is whether or not negative attack ads work, and if so, how much damage can they do? Could these ads prevent Wayne or Sally from making the runoff? And which of the other candidates benefits if support for Wayne or Sally or both goes down from the attacks? My guests today to help me take a look at this are Eric Sonderman and Mark Waller. Eric is a founder of SE2, an integrated marketing firm in Denver, and he's worked on hundreds of political campaigns during his career, several in Colorado Springs. He now consults and writes a column for the Colorado Springs Gazette. Mark was a guest on Episode 9 when we took a look at fundraising. He's a former El Paso County Commissioner and a former state representative. Mark and Eric, thanks for being here today. I appreciate it. Of course. Hey, glad to be here, Kyle. What I want to talk about today, it's kind of a an interesting dynamic in this year's mayor's race here in Colorado Springs, is the fact that for the first time in one of our mayor's races, we have third party efforts, or uh, I, I don't know if the are these considered five twenty sevens specifically, or is that a, a different animal altogether? I don't know, but it's a third party effort. Uh, they're spending money in the campaign, specifically attacking some of the other candidates. And really, there's two groups. We've got a group called Citizens for Protecting Our Water and another group called Colorado Springs for Ethical Government. And it's kind of a divide. It's the, the water group is led by the Jenkins family, Norwood Development, Classic Homes, and they're running attack ads against Sally Clark. And then the other group, the Colorado Springs for Ethical Government, it's kind of the folks on the other side of the water and annexation issue from Norwood and Classic, and they're running ads going after Wayne Williams. It's something different, but, you know, Mark, I know you've kind of seen some of this stuff here in the market so far. 
what's kind of your take on it? Well, uh, first of all, I mean, your analysis analysis is exactly right on. We haven't seen this before um, in a Colorado Springs mayoral race. In fact, I think we're seeing you know, probably three or four times the overall amount of money in this race as we've seen in previous races. Um, but, but having said that, uh, I think that there are competing groups of developers um, that that feel like um, if they don't engage in these third-party efforts, they aren't going to have a voice moving forward uh, with a, a new administration. And I think that's why we're seeing all this money come in. And and I think it, it is effective, definitely. The candidates themselves, are, I think, are getting close to $2 million in money raised. And I'm guessing these two third-party groups will probably put in close to, to at least a half a million combined. It's going to be a, a lot of money in there. Eric, I don't know how much you've had a chance to look at our race down here, but kind of from your perspective, what have you seen in, in what you've been able to look at? Sure. Uh, you know, I do watch it, even though I grew up in Colorado Springs and my column now runs in the Gazette. Uh, I am 70 miles away in Denver, and I'm more familiar with the Denver mayoral race than the Colorado Springs race, but I, I've been paying attention to the Springs race. Uh, it strikes me as this, you know, developer food fight almost uh, between competing competing developers. Um, I agree with Mark. I think some of the mailers and ads are particularly well done. I thought the ones on behalf of the quote unquote, ethical government group were were pretty devastating uh, against Wayne Williams. I'm not saying they're necessarily going to take Wayne down necessarily, but um, they are they are well done, very professional ads. Consultants go to negative messages for one simple reason. Negative messages tend to work. They don't always work, but uh, consultants go where the payoff is. And uh, that's why you see so much negativity in political campaigns all over the place it's because they often work our brains are geared to accept negative messages there's been study after study that shows that a negative message needs less repetition to make an imprint than a more positive message you need to hear it or see it far less often Um, the stuff works and uh, we shall see here one of the things i always used to hear and again, I don't know, I haven't seen studies on it, but what I used to hear was that the negative ads hurt the person doing the ads. And in this case, it's a third party, so it's not quite the same, but it hurts the person being attacked more, even if it might hurt the other candidate that's, you know, that's benefiting from it a little bit. Is that how you look at it or because maybe that's the the reason for doing it as a third party that you get all the benefit of attacking somebody without any of the backlash on a candidate? I think you just nailed it, uh, Kyle. That's why you have these third parties doing it. Although I am struck between the, by the distinction between the Colorado Springs race and the Denver race, and they're both these multi-candidate, I believe they're, what, 11 in Colorado Springs? 12. Up here we have 17. Somebody dropped last week, so we're down to 16. Uh, you know, it's just it's a crazy glut of excess, and voters are having trouble uh, figuring it out. In Denver, and I don't want to get carried away with the comparisons, but in Denver, you know, we also have these independent expenditure committees funded very, uh, you know, very adequately running ads, but they are running positive ads. We have not yet seen this degree of negativity and attack ad in the Denver mayoral race, which is also on April 4th. 
as as going on right now in Colorado Springs. I think the negativity will come to Denver, but up here it's going to come in the runoff after April 4th, uh, where you've been all treated to it. Uh, you know, you, you have the early bird edition. Yeah. Mark, down here, as you've been talking to people kind of around this cycle, has the conversation of these uh, independent expenditures come up? Well, absolutely. I think they come up all the time. I mean, we have loads and loads and loads of anecdotal information from folks that are talking about them. And I, I think in this race at this time, maybe it's a little bit of a perfect storm. Um, you know, it seems to me a lot of times negative campaigning has to stretch the truth a little bit. Uh, I think in this spring's mayoral race, that's not the case at all. While it may be negative campaigning that's happening, uh, I think all of the stuff is very that's being said on both sides, whether it's being said about Sally or being said about Wayne, it's verifiable kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, for example, I've seen in the the ads against Wayne talking about him using taxpayer money to buy uh, a cowboy hat, to buy jeans, to um, uh, buy things with that he uses for his personal use with taxpayer dollars. I mean, that's verifiable. Uh, I, the attacks on Sally about taking developer money. I mean, that's very verifiable. So I think that's why um, in this race in particular, the attacks are, are seem so vicious, uh, but are so effective as well. If I can just add to that, Kyle, I, I mean, I agree with everything Mark said. Uh, it strikes me as almost ironic that you have developer funded ads attacking candidates for taking money from developers. I got a, I, I, I got a rich chuckle out of that one. That's just what I was getting ready to talk about because I was kind of shocked at that. So there's somewhere in there that on some level, those developers understand that that can be an effective message, even though that's their business. I, I was very surprised when I saw the first ad attacking Sally for taking developer money when the ad was paid for primarily by developers. So that's pretty inside baseball probably for a lot of us. And again, without those groups having to identify who's funding them, not everybody's going to understand that. But you, you know what this has the potential of doing when you have these developers attacking each other? I mean, so the, here's, here's the way this race is setting itself up. In El Paso County, you've got one candidate, Yemi Mobilade, who is perceived as being the more liberal uh, person that's out there. So he's going to take the, you know, more sort of more moderate liberal vote, right? Uh, everybody assumes that Yemi Mobilade is going to be making the ballot, um, probably, or you know, being in the runoff, I should say, not making the ballot, but being in the runoff with probably, you know, 30, 32% of the vote. And then you have everybody else in the race competing for that other spot to make the runoff. And so it's conceivable that somebody can do this, you know, when you have 11 other candidates in the race, not all of them are viable, but maybe three or four of them are, it's conceivable that you can have somebody get into the runoff with only 15, maybe 20% of the vote. Uh, and so it seems to me, as all of this negative campaigning is happening, it's all being pointed at either Sally or Wayne. That creates a circumstance where one of these other candidates who wouldn't have been 
competitive now has a competitive chance, like a Daryl Glenn or a Lojinos Gonzalez. Yeah, that's kind of one of the other things I wanted to ask is who would benefit the most from these negative ads? None of it touches Yemi. So, uh, you know, there's nothing negative out there uh, being aired about him or anything. With Sally and Wayne competing for that more right side of the voter electorate, and again with Lohinos and Daryl out there, who you think might benefit the most from that? I'll defer uh, to Mark's uh, analysis of this. Uh, he's on the ground in terms of who the beneficiaries uh, might be, but I think the biggest beneficiary, as he pointed out, is probably Yemi. He's able to coast above the fray. I don't know if anyone's guaranteed a seat in the runoff, but if I was, I'm not a betting person, but if I happen to be in Vegas right now, I would certainly like Yemi's odds of of making uh, the runoff ballot. Uh, you know, it strikes me as almost on par with so much of what we're seeing across the state and across the nation these days. Uh, and I know these races are nonpartisan, but yes, they still have a sub rosa partisan element to it and we have you know republicans fighting with republicans and the democrats are able to you know sometimes skate a little bit above the fray mark knows that uh predicament all all too well uh and this strikes me as you know part and parcel of that i i think it does a couple of things too um you know it's eric was talking earlier about uh the comparisons with the denver race and how kind of all of the money's being held there for the runoff. In this circumstance, I think the only person that has, you know, somewhat of an assurance of making the runoff is Jimmy. So he's the one that can kind of hold some of his money back and prepare for the runoff. But everybody else is of the mindset that, hey, uh, I, I can hold as much money back as I want, but if I don't make the runoff, then I can't spend it. So... So I think that everybody else is kind of in a fight for their life here. And so they're going to spend every dollar they got right now uh, in the hopes that they make the runoff and then are able to raise another tranche of money to move forward once they get there. Uh, the other difference between the Springs and Denver is in the Springs, the runoff, I believe, is six weeks after the April 4th election. In Denver, it's nine weeks. So the Colorado Springs one is going to happen particularly fast. And if Yemi is able to, you know, go back up on the air or what have you to maintain his momentum because he already has some money in the bank where candidate Smith or Jones, in this case, Clark or Williams or Glenn or whoever it is, um, has to retrench and spend the first two or three of those six weeks just raising money. Uh, that is a significant factor. There's been another uh, campaign filing middle of last week, and I haven't done an update on it yet. What it looked like was Wayne's up to about 540,000 raised, but he's showing 460,000 of that spent. I believe that Wayne, Sally, and Yemi are all less than $100,000 in hand, cash still on hand uh, at this point in the race. So again, they'll probably raise a little bit more over the rest, and maybe those expenditures show all of their placements through election day. But right now, it doesn't look like anybody's trying to hold back a huge amount of money. No, and, and I think that's the right thing for everybody that's not Yemi to do. Um, I, my advice would be spend every dime, worry about the rest of it later. Yep. Um, but I, and, and I think that there's a, 
Another sort of interesting dynamic that's getting brought into this based on the fact that it's two uh, different groups of what are perceived to be developers um, supporting either Wayne or Sally. And, and that is, okay, let's say, let's say Wayne makes the runoff with Yemi. Then do all of the Sally supporters jump behind Yemi and support him over Wayne? Whereas if, if uh, Sally's the one that makes the runoff, then those people stay with Sally, and then the people that were supporting Wayne then put their money behind Yemi as well. I, I don't know. Uh, nobody knows what that's going to look like, but I think it's, uh, it's going to certainly make for an interesting runoff election. And if I can just chime in, Kyle, the other factor that strikes me here, and again, I'm 70 miles away, it's a high-risk play here, it strikes me, on the part of some of these developers. And whether you're Jenkins slash Norwood or, you know, Doug Stimple at Classic or, or some of the players who are supporting Sally Clark, and in years long, long, long gone by, I've worked for some of these people, uh, but you know, you run the risk. Yeah, if your candidate makes it, then you certainly have some access, if not more than access. But if your candidate doesn't make it, if you if Sally Clark becomes the mayor of Colorado Springs, um, you know, you have put all, and if you're David or Chris Jenkins or Doug Stemple or a bunch of other people, you have put a ton of money on the line and you have a mayor who is probably not going to make your phone call the first phone call that she takes um and you know i contrast this with the denver race where so many of the uh, so many people in the development community up here are really keeping their powder dry under the theory of yeah i can make one ingrate if i jump on board one campaign but i'm going to make 15 or 16 enemies and the percentage in that is just not there. I'm going to at least wait until the runoff and assess who's in the runoff, and then I'll play my cards and my cash then. But in the springs, all these players have gone all in at the beginning. Yeah, and I think that's going to be interesting. And, and kind of back, Mark, to your point, your question, I would almost think that right now this is so divisive down here. Whoever, between Wayne and Sally, if one of them doesn't make the runoff, I think the other person lines up behind Yemi or whoever the other person is, as opposed to switching allegiances from Wayne to Sally or Sally to Wayne. I, I'd just be shocked if that happened at this point, because it's so contentious that it just doesn't seem like it'll happen. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think that's that's absolutely great analysis. I mean, the problem here has been this whole annexation ordinance. That's what caused these sides to get drawn up the way that they have and has caused them to come into this thing so early. I mean, it, it's not that, you know, uh, people's favorite person is Sally or, or, you know, some developer's favorite candidate is Sally or some developer's favorite candidate is Wayne. I think it has a whole lot more to do with an annexation ordinance. And, and Norwood has an obligation now to stand up and, and support Wayne because they used him to get that annexation ordinance through uh, the other side uh, who are anti-Wayne because of the annexation ordinance said, you know, hey, Sally's our best option to move forward. And that's why this has gotten so contentious so quickly and has seen so much more money than has ever been seen before. And you touched on this a little bit a few minutes ago, 
with this money being spent against Wayne and Sally, do you feel like there's a realistic chance that it could knock them both down far enough that neither one of them makes the runoff? Or do you do you see that as kind of an unlikely outcome? And if they both didn't, who would be the likely person in the runoff with Yemi? Uh, my guess is Lohinos or Daryl, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, I'll, I'm going to give you the lawyer answer here. I think it's an unlikely scenario to have one of those two not make the runoff, uh, but I definitely think it is possible. Uh, and it's certainly, I think, much more possible. Like if you'd asked me that question maybe two or three weeks ago, I would have said, no way. It's either going to be Wayne or Sally. Uh, but I think that there has just been so much money put into this and so much negative campaigning that's happened. And I think it certainly makes that scenario much more likely than it was before. Still probably improbable, but much more likely than it was before. So I've used social media to kind of promote the podcast. It seems like a disproportionate amount of the engagement I've had is from TIG supporters, TIG Tigan. And he hasn't raised a lot of money. It at least feels like in a certain portion of the community, he's got a pretty strong following and pretty strong name ID. Now, I don't know if it's enough to get him into the runoff. I don't know, Mark. I mean, what's your take on Tig's role in the campaign? I mean, I didn't do an episode with him, but I'm just kind of curious what your take is. Well, I don't know. I, I think uh, I think this. I think that the kind of candidate that he is and the kind of voters that he draws are the kind of people that tend to be much more active and opinionated on social media. Okay. Um, my guess is polling would show that uh, that the people that are supporting him are a very, very, very vocal um, small minority. Okay. I think okay. Eric understands a lot of those trends better than I do. I'd be interested to know what Eric thinks about that. I may, you know, I may understand some of the trends, but I don't know the personalities in in some of these cases. I do not know uh, this gentleman you're speaking of, but I, I, I certainly know the sorts. And I think Mark's analysis is right on in terms of, you know, people a little bit more on the fringes who attract very hot and passionate support. That hot and passionate support doesn't always translate translates to a lot of activity on social media and a lot of passion, but doesn't translate into those many votes. My gut is, again, not, you know, being on the ground. My gut is that both Wayne Williams and Sally Clark are known enough personalities that one or even both of them should be able to get their way to about, you know, low to mid 20% range. And that if, if one or both of them can see their way to 23, 24, 25, that should be good enough for the second spot in the runoff. I think you're right. It's definitely going to be interesting to see how it all splits up. I do think all the the five candidates who've held elective office before all have a, a kind of a chunk of people that are behind them and with that name ID and people who've actually checked their name off a ballot before. But a lot of them are, are more in a spoiler role in my mind. It's if they can get some traction disproportionate to what maybe they started at, uh, it might hurt Wayne or Sally. 
but I, I, I agree. I just don't know that anybody's going to be able to get quite the support to get up into the, the runoff. And then the other factor, and again, I would defer to you, Kyle, and to Mark to better understand this, but it's if you look at a Daryl Glenn or the former councilman uh, or um, this gentleman, Tig, or some others, who are they drawing votes from? So if I'm voting for Daryl Glenn, if if Glenn wasn't in the race, where would my vote go? I mean, you know, it's it, these lanes tend to get confused and occupied by more than one candidate. And it's, I think that becomes a factor, particularly in sorting that between Sally Clark and Wayne Williams is, you know, who are these somewhat lesser candidates drawing from and hurting? Yeah, and I'll tell you, I actually think that a lot of those uh, candidates draw from each other. Um, I, I mean, I remember having a conversation with Lohinos when Tig got into the race. And for those that don't know, you know, Tig Tegan is one of the Benghazi guys. Um, he, he would, you know, kind of got some fame out of that. And then he was a big uh, supporter in Donald Trump's campaign back in 2016. Uh, and so that's kind of, you know, how he's known or what he's known for. Uh, but I remember having a conversation with Lohinos Gonzalez uh, right after Tig announced. And, you know, Lohinos's feeling at that time was that Tig took from him. And so so it seems to me if these all of these sort of what we're referring to as lesser candidates, and I don't mean to diminish any of them in any way. But if these people that have raised a lot less money in this race, if they had found a way to consolidate together. Um, I, I would say that and you know, put all of their support behind one candidate, that one candidate would probably be in the catbird seat right now. Yeah, I look at, for example, Daryl Lohinos, Tig, and Andrew Dalby would all, if those four had kind of come together, their supporters had come together behind one candidate, I think you're right. I, I think there's a real good chance one of them could have been in the runoff if it wasn't split so much. And and I, I and I will say this though I mean as we're trying to do this analysis on whether you know those people take more from me, I mean if you just sort of um, look at it in a vacuum and say okay you don't get to make that dis- that choice does it say they take from each other and you have to choose between do they take more from Wayne or Sally um, you know I, I have been over that question a thousand times in my mind and I think if you know if you ask me kind of. Uh, on a different day, I might have a different answer, but but today my feeling is that probably slightly takes more from Wayne than it does from Sally. I would agree with that. I think that's accurate. But just by a little bit. Let's say Wayne makes the runoff with Yemi. Do you think this independent expenditure, the Citizens for Protecting Our Water, do you think they kind of sit out the runoff or do you think that group stays active and starts attacking Yemi? Well, so I think they've done two things, right? They've attacked Sally, but they've also done positive messaging for Wayne. And so I think at a minimum, um, they stay in and active and they, uh, uh, they put effort towards supporting Wayne. The question there, and I can't remember Mark, if this came up in one of our previous conversations or somewhere else, but if a independent expenditure group is going to run positive messages about a candidate, why not just give the money to the candidate because they pay 30% less 
for TV spots than an independent expenditure group. So the money would go a lot further in helping that candidate. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know what your thought is on that, if it still makes sense to have a third-party effort that's a positive message. Well, yeah, I mean, that is accurate, right? Um, that uh, uh, independent expenditures pay 30, you know, 30 to 40% more for TV time than candidates do. But it's just TV. So, you know, yeah. mail, there's parity there. Text messaging, there's parity there. Um, and certainly that's what that independent expenditure committee has been spending. Well, they, they did spend a fair bit of money on TV, but it seems like in, oh, the last week or 10 days, they've put a lot more effort towards text messaging. Uh, and so that's how they're spending their money. But I, I, I think the, you know, the reason that they would keep operating is to help Wayne avoid this. Uh, notion that he's in the back pocket of the developers because as you know david jenkins said in the email that he sent out to um people that he was soliciting funds for said hey we can uh we can keep your name a secret in this we don't have to disclose donors um and you know wayne's already taken a lot of heat for being in the back pocket of the developers and so if they put money into an independent expenditure committee as opposed to putting money into Wayne himself, those donors don't have to be disclosed by, again, David Jenkins' own admission. And so that might be a reason to do it. Yeah. And what interests me, if I can just chime in here and jumping ahead as your question did, Kyle, to a potential runoff election between Yemi and, let's say, Wayne Williams is, you know, the historic pattern would be that somebody like Yemi, and we've we've seen this play before, and that role has been occupied by like a Richard Scorman. And, you know, they make the runoff, they're in comfortable position in the first round, they make the runoff, but ultimately they lose out in the runoff to the more conservative, Republican, typical Colorado Springs, El Paso County candidate, whether that was Steve Bach or John Southers or whomever. You know, and the question is, can this play turn out differently? The way it strikes me that it could turn out differently, I'm not suggesting it will, would be if instead of a left-right division between, let's say, Yemi and and Wayne Williams, it turns into a developer versus anti-developer division. And that one... If that becomes the frame of the election, not left-right, but purely on development and growth issues, then Yemi might have a real shot at it. Real quick to that point, and we've seen a recent example of that uh, in the past here, and that's Monument. I mean, Monument is one of the most conservative, you know, from a, a demographic, demographic perspective. You look at registrations, Monument is more conservative than almost anywhere in the state and they elected a couple of liberals to their town council something you never would have thought could possibly happen just a few years ago but yet in uh 2022 they elected a a, two maybe three liberals to their town council all because of that whole uh developer anti-developer divide exactly yeah Eric, you've worked on a lot of campaigns uh, over the years. 
when you've been working with a candidate that's being attacked, kind of like Wayne and Sally are in these things, what's typically been kind of your approach with your candidate? Do they make a significant effort to refute the attacks or is it best to just kind of maybe act like they they aren't happening, don't give it any credence? What do you typically... I, you know, it certainly depends on the situation. And quite frankly, it depends on the polling. If, you know, if you're in a strong position, despite the attacks, you respond differently than if uh, you're in a weak position and the attacks are, are drawing lots of blood. And, you know, Mark knows this from much more firsthand experience where I'm, you know, more of the backroom uh, experience. Um, I think the standard way of handling this is to acknowledge and respond to the attack, not necessarily on the attacker's terms, but on your own terms. So to acknowledge and respond, but then to quickly pivot to your own message. You do not want to spend all of your time and money simply in a response mode, because in many respects, then you're just accenting or augmenting um, the message of the attack. So, But you can't particularly if it's in volume, like what we're seeing in Colorado Springs, you can't just pretend it's not it, it's not happening or that it doesn't exist. You need to, you know, respond, dismiss, and then get back to your message. Mark, are you seeing any of that in this campaign? I haven't. I And again, I, I realize I'm probably not seeing everything that's out there, but I, I haven't really seen Wayne or Sally really respond in any way to the attacks and like eric said maybe respond and then try and get back on their own message but have you seen anything no i haven't and i'm a little bit surprised by that um because i think eric is spot on i mean you you got to acknowledge it uh and dismiss it and then move on i mean there is an old adage in politics that says or in campaigning that says if you're explaining you're losing um but that doesn't mean you can't acknowledge it, refute it, and then move on. But I think what's particularly difficult in this circumstance is, you know, what can Wayne say to uh, using the taxpayer money to buy uh, clothes for personal use, right? I mean, there's just, as I've tried to think that through, if I were him, what would I say? Or if I were Sally, what would I say? And I'm just not sure there's a good answer there, e- even if they're just going to acknowledge it and move on. Um, so I think the that maybe in this circumstance, they think the better tactic is, well, I'll just amp up the attacks on the other side. When I was looking in the information on the FCC website about who's been buying ads, there was a third independent expenditure group listed and Mark, am I correct? Is that group more working on the city council race or is that third group doing messaging in the mayoral race too? Because I saw that the water group and that third group are both being run out of Danny Cole's office, but is that third group more involved in council? That's what I think is happening. Um, but I think that that third group has uh quite frankly, confuse their message quite a bit um, because they've, you know, they've put out pro-council ads. They've put out pro-Wayne ads. They've put out ads that make it look like Wayne and certain council council candidates are on the same ticket together. They're running as some sort of slate. 
which uh, to my knowledge isn't the case at all. Mm. Um, so I think, yes, that uh, that is what is happening. But I'll tell you, I think that that's probably caused more confusion and, and you know, it just seems to me probably in the best way to spend donors money. But, um, you know, uh, uh, I'm not uh, Danny Cole doesn't call me up and ask me how he should spend his money. I know, Mark, one other time when we talked, on, I think on the episode about fundraising, you had heard somewhere that there might be a independent expenditure supporting Yemi. And I haven't seen that come through yet. Do you think that could still possibly happen? Or is that more than likely off the table as we're two weeks out from Election Day? Yeah, I'm not really sure what's happening there, um, but you're right uh, that they had been hearing uh, a lot of talk about uh, a positive effort coming up for Yemi, but uh, it hasn't materialized. Maybe it's maybe they feel like they're in good enough shape that they can hold that until the runoff. Yeah, good point. Well, anything else related to this topic? Any other questions that have popped up for you guys? We're only two weeks out from the first round any other less than and we're really less than two weeks out in the sense that voters have ballots sitting on kitchen tables and they're you know filling them in and returning them uh as we speak so election day these days is really just when you count the votes it's not necessarily when you cast the votes true probably what at this point a third of the voters have possibly voted Uh, i'll defer to you guys i know what we're seeing in denver just given the size of the field is you know, unlike in a typical November election where you fill out your ballot and send it in right away, uh, you know, in this case, voters are sort of holding on to them a little longer. That's exactly what's happening here. Uh, in fact, when I, I saw the numbers on Friday, uh, so St. Patrick's Day uh, uh, in El pa- or in Colorado Springs, uh, 11,000 people had returned their ballots. Uh, and there's an expectation that, you know, approximately 104, 105,000 people are going to vote in this election. And so that's really, you know, only around 10%, 10, 11% have returned ballots thus far, which is significantly lower than we've seen in past elections and significantly lower than we expected, uh, which tells me, there are probably a lot of undecided voters out there. And so, you know, any bit of messaging uh, that still remains uh, it has the potential to be effective and impact the outcome. A lot of the most recent elections here in El Paso County, if I'm right, it seemed like 60% of the ballots were being turned in uh, the day before Election Day and on Election Day. Whereas wow. a few years before that, you know, it was only about a third of the ballots that were going to come in were, were coming in that late. So it, it definitely has been a switch over the last few years. Yeah, that's for sure. I just really appreciate you guys taking the time to come on. And, you know, I, I think it would be uh, interesting to maybe have a follow-up on this conversation after we know who's in the runoff and maybe talk about what the strategies might be there for whoever the two folks are that, that make it in. Happy to do that, Kyle. Fun to talk to both of you. Absolutely. You too. Eric, I always appreciate reading your thoughtful columns. Well, you're very, you're very nice. I have mutual respect, Mark. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you being here. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of COS 23, the Mayor's Race podcast. This program is brought to you by Avant Strategies. Special thank you to producer Ted Robertson for help putting this program together. If you're interested in partnering with COS 23, the Mayor's Race podcast, you can reach out to me at kyle at avantstrategiesllc.com.